Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thank you for listening. In this episode, I remotely interviewed Abigail Hawkins, owner of the YouTube channel, The Sensible Senko. Abigail is down to earth, relatable, and she genuinely wants to help teachers and parents understand the jargon involved with everything Senko. But she also wants to help adults to get the best solutions for children in their care. I think that teaching teachers and parents about everything an experienced Senko knows is a fantastic idea as we just don't get the opportunities to learn about this stuff in bite-sized form when we're ready to hear it. Here's the interview. So Abigail, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) So, you have got lots and lots of experience um, that we can delve into today, but I think the best thing to do is just tell me your journey, where you've come from so far. So how... How did your journey sort of in teaching start and, and how have you got to where you are right now? Okay. Gosh, that's going to be a long story. So that's I've been okay. That's time. okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I went to a, a, a normal um, school, if you like, 11 to 16 school. And when I was 16 years old, I'd had a really bad experience of bullying at school. I decided to go to my local college instead. So a, a 16 to 18 college. And, um, I experienced freedom for the first time. So I didn't particularly go to my lessons. This is me being very honest here. Um, So my A-level... I was thinking, oh, this story sounds a bit like my story, sort of. And then, but no, no, I went to my lessons. (laughs) No, I didn't go to my lessons. I was not a good girl. I was at GCSE, but when I went to do my A-levels, no, I I found the park and I I discovered boys, you know, as you do. Um, And (laughs) I uh, didn't do very well in my A-levels. And at the time, I really wanted to be a research scientist. My, my passion's always been science. Um, and there was no way I was going to get into that. So I'd applied to university and I didn't quite get the grades to go to university. But at the same time as not having gone to my lessons, I also suffer with massive panic attacks in exams. So I ended up with a university place because they took pity on me and thought that I'd failed my exams because I, um, I'd panicked in the exams, not the <laughs> fact I actually hadn't been going to lessons and learning. I hope they're not listening now. Talk about I hope they're not listening now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Staffordshire University. Um, so I got offered a place and off I toddled. I actually got a place on what was called a HND, so a higher national diploma. Yeah, um, yeah. So I did my two years on that. They then offered me a place on the uh, BSc. So I did biology and applied biology and I did applied science for my HND. And I ended up doing four years at Staffs Uni and uh, got to the end of that. And I still wanted to be a research scientist, um, but I'd realised how boring research was. So... <laughs> 
Um, so I applied to Keele University to be a to go and do teacher training just as one of those notches on the belt to give me another 12 months to kind of think it through and really decide what I wanted to do and I, I sailed through the interview they thought oh gosh this is great this person is really passionate about teaching goodness knows where that came from um, and got onto the course and I loved it really loved it and uh, at the end of it decided well I'd better go and do my NQT year mm -hmm. uh, so applied for jobs and this tells you how bad my geography is I thought Hertfordshire with the word heart in the middle of it at the beginning of it would be in the heart of England I live in the Midlands so heart Hertfordshire heart of England yeah. it isn't it's down south from me um, <laughs> so I applied for applied for a job in Hertfordshire two hour drive from where I was living um, and I got the job and it was in a middle school um, as a uh, year seven and eight science teacher but I also had to teach year six um, and I had to teach some maths and music as well I, I can play music so that was okay um, so that's where I started and I did two years in the middle school great experience um, very expensive to live down there especially as I was commuting at the weekends mm -hmm. so I applied to another job um, after two years and they they closed that school down you'll find there's a bit of pattern here every time I leave a school it gets shut down um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it's not me um, I moved to another school in Staffordshire and uh, I did three years there it was another middle school and it was the year that they introduced the literacy strategy so I applied for the science post went to the interview and got offered the post as a year six class teacher so I went from teaching three subjects to teaching the whole curriculum, including introducing the literacy strategy and we were the pilot school for numeracy strategy at the same time. And I did three years there and uh, that was a learning curve and a half. Um, both schools were areas of fairly high deprivation and uh, children that found things quite difficult. Both schools... Um, I ended up doing like the, the SEN groups, if you like. We're, we're going back to an era where we used to set children and we had bottom sets, even yeah. in middle schools. Um, so I always used to end up with the bottom set because apparently I could associate with those children and work with those children and I got good results. So that's how my SEN kind of side of things started. It was lots and lots of experience. And at the time, schools didn't particularly have Senkos as such. They weren't named characters within the school. So it kind of fell on me to do all of that. Anyway, after three years in Staffordshire, I um, decided to apply for another job and I applied to a primary school in Derby that was a brand new school that was opening. And I thought, yeah, OK, I can do this. And we knew it was opening from scratch and it was going to be all year groups and we knew it would be mixed age year groups. And I thought, it's fine. I'll probably get mixed year five, six because, you know, that's where my experience is. I'm trained as a secondary teacher. I've been teaching year six. Let's go for it. And I got that job and then I sat down there was only three of us there was um the deputy head the head teacher um oh, sorry myself and then uh, uh, another lady um the other lady was going to take reception in year one the deputy head wanted year six and year five so i got mixed year two three four. Oh god <laughs> so yeah i learned my primary curriculum lesson by lesson um and again, because there was only four of us in the school, all those roles got divvied up and I ended up with the Senko role at that point and started it from there. Spent a couple of years there, um, had my own children, actually decided after the second one was born that I wasn't going to go straight back. 
and that actually I was going to go to my local college and try and improve my A-levels because I hadn't done very well first time round mm -hmm. um, with the intention of going back into secondary science teaching. And I uh, applied to my local college, got in, started my A-level studies. So it was A-level physics, psychology and maths I was doing. And uh, after a couple of weeks, they found out I was a qualified teacher and they were a little bit oversubscribed at the time. So they offered me some part time work working with some of the students. And eventually I ended up subsumed into their SEN department, working with students who were struggling on their A-level courses alongside studying my own A-level courses, mm -hmm. which was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Got my A-levels, did quite well on them this time because I actually went to the lessons. Yeah. <laughs> And you also did everyone else's A-levels as well. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, did, I did some additional qualifications alongside. So I um, did a qualification to be an exams assessor, so to do the access arrangements for students, all that kind of thing. Um, and I got offered a job within the SCN department, as you can well imagine. Um, and we, we opened a new site and there was 8,000 students. And I, I kind of worked with the SCM within there. Unfortunately, the pay in a sixth form college is not great. It is paid by the hour. And if your student that's named on your timetable doesn't turn up, you don't get paid. Um, oh. And that wasn't sustainable over a long period. Well, no, because so, I know what they're like. I used to teach secondary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I applied to a secondary school in inner city Nottingham or Shottingham, as it was known at the time. It was <laughs> recent to certain events. Um, and I got the job. It was actually as a Senko in a secondary school. Um, and I spent over 10 years there. Um, and I started with the SCN role, and then I ended up picking up EAL, Pupil Premium, Looked After, Safeguarding Lead, all those hats that basically nobody else in a school particularly wants because they tend to come with a bit of a poison chalice. Um, and I loved it. It was, it was great. Um, so I'm, I'm one of these Senkos who doesn't have the Nasenko qualification, which is the one that people are now required to have to take on the Senko role because I was qualified by experience and I was already in post when that requirement came out mm -hmm. so I've never had to do it but I have taught on the modules within various places um, so I spent a good chunk of time at that secondary school I can't even work it out now um, and had another child while I was there so that's three of them um, and I was put in a really tricky position um, towards the end of 2015 where my school decided to absorb um, all of the English as an additional language children coming into the local area and their philosophy around it was well we'll create an EAL school within our school so they put all of those students into one class regardless of their age so that's from 11 to 16 and they also then mixed into it all of my lowest ability SEN pupils and they took them completely off timetable and uh, I was responsible for all of those students but they weren't actually on my timetable so I had to get results for them but I wasn't allowed any input into them and the teachers that were teaching them were told they didn't have to plan lessons so they could do with them whatever they wanted to do with them so i'm accountable for the results but other people are delivering it but i can't ask them to deliver anything particular to achieve those results that's a very strange thing 
a very strange thing and an incredibly tricky situation to be in and I managed it until the October half term and I'm a little bit of a workaholic um, and I was working completely around the clock trying to sort that out and I just broke at the October half term um, and I, I you know it's something I don't particularly talk about very often but I, I did end up in a really low place um, and ended up taking quite a chunk of time off work um, and on antidepressants and uh, my, my GP was fantastic. I basically wrote my GP a note and walked in with it and said, can you read this? And I walked out with a prescription for medication, which I definitely needed it. Some people don't, I needed it. Um, I walked out with that. that. Was, that was a really good idea though, because some people would not go because they wouldn't be able to say it but you found a way around that. Yeah, I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to say it. I knew that I would either burst into tears or that I would come out having not said what I needed to say. So I sat and wrote it down. Um, it wasn't particularly long. It was only a, a small piece of paper that I handed to him, but they were brilliant. So I, I came out with my prescription. I came out with a counselling session that had all been set up for me. And I came out with a sick note and that's what I needed. And I ended up staying off school until the um, January and I started back on a phased return. Initially, I was refused a phased return, um, but we managed to persuade them that, that was more appropriate. And that lasted until March the 17th of 2016. See, the dates are ingrained in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and I got called into the head's office that morning at half past eight with um, the union representative who wasn't my union representative but she did represent the union in school um, and four of us were made redundant so no warning or anything it was um, just a case of yeah we're going to have a senior leadership reshuffle we're going to take over some of your job titles because we think it's too much for one person we've recognized that and I'm sitting there thinking oh great wonderful I can just be a Senko because that's what I really want to be mm -hmm. Um, and actually what came out of it was we wouldn't take all your job titles off you that means you're not required so we're making you redundant um, my union rep was also made redundant on the same day which was awkward wow. yeah. <laughs> so we were both in tears um, but she negotiated a package for me and I walked away from it whilst I'd been there I'd been using some software um, by a company um, to support my Senko role and I first thing I did was actually contact the director of that company because we'd made friends over time and say if you hear of any Senko posts can you please let me know because he was going to know of them quicker than I was yeah. and he came back to me and said give me till the end of the week I'll see what I can do and he came back to me at the end of that week and said come and be my consultant Senko there you go, I've got to be emotional there. Um, yeah, so come yeah. and be my consultant Senko for me. I can't pay you as much as teaching did, but I think you need a break from it anyway. So come and do this. So that's what I went to go and do. And I set up my own business at the same time with the intention of offering SEN support to Senkos because it's an incredibly lonely position within schools and having having realized how low I got and there was nobody I could reach out to, nobody that would actually understand what was happening and what was going on, I felt that I'd got something to offer and to give back to people. So mm -hmm. I set my own business up for that and this is now starting to take off. Um, so that was four years ago now. In fact, um, four years ago on the 1st of June, I started working for the software company. Um, and then 
they've been absolutely great with me so you know if I need to go and do something for my own business I'm allowed to go and sort that out um so I wrote a couple of books one of them was literally I wrote the Sendco, which is my first book that I wrote I wrote it in a weekend and it was literally just sitting down and splurging onto a piece of paper what everything was for me about being a Senko. So it's how I, uh, things like how I manage my time, how I, um, how I felt the role was, the kind of things I used to do to make sure I didn't have piles of paper on my desk at the end of each day. And I just threw it all down in a book format, left it for a week, came back to it, reformatted it, stuck it on KDP, which is Amazon's print on demand yeah, service, yeah. and thought, oh, we'll see if anybody buys it. And people actually started buying it. Um, so that gave me the motivation to write my, my second book, which was to do with provision mapping. And provision mapping is kind of my passion. I'm, I'm quite good at provision mapping. So I, I like talking about that. Don't ask me a question about that. You won't shut me up. Um, so that's kind of where I, I ended up. And that book's doing really well at the moment. I got some lovely feedback on Facebook about that last night as well, which made me cry again. And I'm not an incredibly emotional person, but this feedback was just so lovely that yeah <laughs> it matters and that's where I am now <laughs> so that's where I am now I still work for that software company I have other companies that tend to approach me and say can you look at this product for us and tell it tell us if it suits the SEN market um, can you advise us whether on what we need to do to improve this or something like that um, I've um, worked with some publishers around books that they've produced and they're asking me to write a review for those books um, and then in January this year I really launched my YouTube channel which is Sensible Senko because I wanted a different way to reach Senkos and we know that we kind of sit down in the evening and I stick YouTube on for 10 or 15 minutes to chill out but still want to do something related to their job perhaps without feeling guilty so I thought these little videos on um, YouTube might be a way of achieving that because that's the way I learn things um, so that's what I've been doing um, and every week we release a new video for Senkos also suitable for teachers and parents I suppose but that talk about different issues within SEM. Thank you. Tell me about the Sensible Senko then the YouTube channel. Okay, so I originally launched it back in August um, and it was three videos I launched and they were actually for parents. So anybody who knows me will know that I spend a lot of time in social media, not because I like social media, believe it or not, <laughs> but because it's actually a really good way of talking to people um, and, and having that conversation with them in a, a nice informal manner. Emails tend to be a bit too formal. And they're only to one person. Whereas when you're on a Facebook page, you're answering lots of people and lots of people can see that. And if they were scared to ask that question, they've got that answer coming back to them as well. So I was in a Facebook group. It was actually a parent's Facebook group and they were struggling with understanding how to apply for an education healthcare needs assessment. And what I decided to do was create three very short videos to explain to parents how you would go about that process um, so I, I, I used PowerPoint I talked over the PowerPoints they weren't brilliant videos to start with put them out there parents loved them and then Senko started to find them I thought oh okay this is interesting never thought they'd go and do that so 
in January, my husband, um, he works full time. He's a HGV driver. Um, but in January, my husband said, come on, we need to really get our business up and running and, and doing a little bit more. How can I help? So between the two of us, we put, made a big push on Sensible Senko as a YouTube channel in its own right. Um, and now we have a video every week. Um, and they are generally aimed at Senko. So I've done things like... Um, well, last week we did the 10 minute SEM snippet, which was about dyscalculia. So we, we talked about what dyscalculia is. We talked about how you can recognize it, some resources and strategies you might use, but it's only in 10 minutes. So you could send a teacher yes. along to it. Oh, you've got a dyscalculic child in your class. How can you support them? Go and watch this video. Here's some ideas. If you've got a parent just had a recent diagnosis, here you go. This explains it. Or if you are Senko, who's like, what's dyscalculia? you can go and find out about it really quickly um so we've got videos like that we've got videos that talk about um coffee mornings so i'm a great coffee morning fan hate coffee but love my coffee mornings um <laughs> it's so we, <laughs> it is the cake you're absolutely right and the bacon butters um so, mm. oh yeah <laughs> um so we, i've got one about that because that came up from the send webinars i've been a part of recently we did four big send webinars we had over ten thousand people tune into those and watch them and that was with natalie packer and david bartram and myself um and you know people came back and said oh, what's the coffee morning i don't understand this concept of a coffee morning what do you do in it why do you do it weekly so i, I did a video to explain that and why i had to do it weekly for the families i was working with um i have there's a whole load of videos on that there's probably about 50 or 60 videos on that the aim was to do one a week there's obviously not been 50 weeks since january so i've pop popped up a few more than i perhaps should have yeah. or not necessarily but they're getting their audience they're gaining it um yeah that <laughs> is brilliant i mean that's a fantastic resource for any teacher isn't it so if you're a senko but not if you're not a senko and you've got children in your class and you don't you're not really sure where you should go but also I picked up on them um, you said that you did that for parents and I, I think that's really interesting because I guess you, you can only tell it from a neutral point of view when you don't know um who you're talking to and that's Absolutely. important for a parent because often in school it it's not always neutral is it it's well we want to do this because we believe this and you might not want that um you know and so that's that's a really useful resource i guess for even teachers or senkos to push parents to so they can understand it and they can be informed wow. Absolutely. i love that i'm all for youtube because normally we would be on youtube right now <laughs> but unfortunately because we're doing this podcast remotely we're not um but you never know there might be another time um, okay, well, thank you. You have had such a, a vast experience, and and a lot of the things that you said at the beginning, I was like, wow, that's me. I, I, um, well, I didn't fail my A levels, um, <laughs> but because I did, I did. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I did a HND the same, um, and then I, I only did um, my PGCE because. I was looking for the next thing and then it went into secondary and then into primary and so yeah I was just like wow this is so weird so thank you for sharing that I feel like we found some common ground there um so 
just let's get to some more uh, more questions about what's happening now then so obviously um if you're listening to the podcast in the future where uh about nine the end of nine weeks into lockdown where schools have been closed in the coronavirus um it's the first wave just in case we get a second one (laughs) um but so how have you been providing SEN support for children over the last over the last couple of months through distance learning I haven't been involved in directly supporting students so I suppose there's two ways in which I have been involved though so the first one would be through those SEND webinars that we've been doing um Mm -hmm. Through Educare was actually a company that arranged it. Um, so getting information out to Senkos, keeping them up to date with ever-changing legislation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. making sure that they've got like some HR, ideas. Oh, just a bit. Um, <laughs> making sure they've got ideas for how to put things in place immediately, how to put things in place for the future. Um, I did a lot of research for them on different courses that are available online, free courses and paid courses for their staff to go on, that kind of thing. Um, the flip side of that is I'm also the chair of governors for three schools because I'm slightly insane. I obviously needed to fill loads of my time up. Um, so I have a secondary school and two primary schools where I am their chair of governors all in the same trust to be fair so I've actually been involved in helping to make decisions around whether the school stays closed or whether the school should open how many we're going to open to and what that's going to look like but also when we closed how was our delivery to our students going to look were we going to go with um, video delivery video conferencing or was it going to be a phone call or was it going to be a work pack that kind of thing and they were really tough decisions I I am so glad and it sounds really awful but I am so glad I was not a senior leader in a school at that point because they were having to make some really tough decisions and I'm very lucky although I am a chair of governors because it's within a multi-academy trust it's the trustees that take the rap if it goes wrong not me (laughs) yes yes um I I know of a chair of governors who is in a in an academy and it is different it's it's kind of lip service in a way isn't it it's um just a nice sometimes can be sometimes it's nice to have that hierarchy above you that takes the rap when it goes wrong but gives you the praise when it goes right yeah yeah okay so are your are your schools going to be opening on the first of june my schools are not going to be opening on the first of june so one of them is a secondary so that won't be opening on the first of june anyway it is looking at its offer for um year 10 students at the moment um my two primary schools have made the decision to use from the 1st of June to the 8th of June to train their staff to make sure staff well-being is where it needs to be so that's the most important thing to them at the moment making sure staff are in the right place before they do anything else Um, making sure they've cleaned classrooms making sure they've trained staff on how to use PPE and how to socially distance and to sort their classrooms out so for those that first week plus the Monday the following week students will not be in and then they are starting a phased return from the 9th of June 
um, and we're starting with one year group and we're actually going the opposite way to how the government has advised we're starting with year six because um, they are the more mature students and it's also, it's also to do with staffing um, the year six staff are available straight away whereas the younger staff aren't um, so year six are going in first they're doing two weeks with those and getting them established into a routine before they're opening up their offer to year one and then they're going to offer it to reception the following week wow so. thank you i think that'd be really helpful for a lot of um a lot of school leaders as well you know thinking about their offering um because it's such a tricky situation we're in we just we don't really know what's around the corner and um you know i've been talking to a lot of people about it you know you is, your, is your child's school open and are you going to send them and and I think none of us will probably know until the Sunday before <laughs> um based on what you know what's happening at the time and you know the yeah. R number and things like that um okay then so how do you think your role as a governor has helped you as a teacher and vice versa Okay, so uh, my role in governance actually started when I joined the secondary school as a SENCO. So I became the staff governor for the secondary school. Um, literally, I started in September, became staff governor in the October. Um, nobody else wanted it. Um, and I also became an appointed governor at the primary school across the road at the same time. Again, I don't do anything by halves. Um, so that's where I started in my governance role and uh, they're very very different so as a staff governor it was very much you sit there you stay quiet you just listen you're not representing anybody you can have a vote but don't you dare challenge anything we say it was one of those schools um as an appointed governor over at the primary school it was so what's your opinion on this what do you think about this how can you help us you're you're a senko across the road how can we support our SEN students very very different um did that so the secondary school i did it for three years the primary school i did it for five years um i then dropped out of both of them because of child care issues and um various bits and pieces that were going on um and then when i was made redundant and of course everything started again we moved house that's what i used my um redundancy payout for i put a deposit down on the house and we moved to a totally different area as you do mm -hmm. um and i thought do you know what i really want to keep my fingers in the pie i still want to be part of schools so i approached um somebody whose name i recognized although i'd never ever met her and said i don't suppose you're looking for any governors at your school are you and she said yes come and meet me at the same time i'd applied to the local authority to say can i be a local authority governor and the local authority had gone yes please mm -hmm. um, so you can guess what happened there i ended up with both the secondary school saying yep come and be a governor for us appointed governor um and the local authority also said it at the same time and placed me in a school so two more again at the same time mm -hmm. um started off on that and um the secondary school <laughs> i went to one meeting where i was appointed as a appointed governor onto the board and um sat back down in the meeting because they send you out to have a chat about you behind your back and you come back in and they're told yeah you got the job well done sit down you're not paid um yeah. sat back yeah. down and the chair of governor said and i'm handing in my resignation if anybody's interested in the post please let the, ch the clerk know um that was in the july and nobody expressed an interest 
so we walked in in the September and as the only person with any educational experience, um, although some of the others have been on the governing board for a while, um, I was voted to the chair's post straight away. Um, and a very similar thing happened in the local authority school at the same time. So all of my educational experience in the past kind of supported me ending up as a chair of governors at the secondary and um, vice chair within the local authority school. Um, and then in the April, it was quite funny, I suddenly got this um, email, panicked email from my clerk who said, um, can you do me a favour? Yeah, sure. What do you want? Would you mind picking up two primary schools for me as their chair of governors? Because we haven't got anybody and we've got Ofsted you. Um, oh. Yep. So I had to contact the local authority school and say, look, I can't do four schools. I'm really sorry. Um, but three schools within one trust is actually doable because I'm only working with one set of rules. If you yes, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I picked that one up. Um, now, I think my education background meant I haven't had loads and loads of terminology to learn. I think as a Senko, you learn an entirely different language anyway. Yeah. Um, all those words. Um, but as a governor, there's a whole load more to learn. So my education background really helped me with that. Um, I think being a Senko has helped me with it because you have to be incredibly patient with some of the governors. Um, I don't know what most people's experience are of governors. They tend to be, um, um, let's go with slightly older in age and uh, a little slower at processing sometimes. <laughs> so technology is not their friend um, I, was, I was a governor for a while and and i didn't I, I can see what you're saying but but we didn't have that not all of them no to be fair it's not all of them but generally speaking governors in primary schools especially tend to be slightly older and retired and don't mm -hmm. like technology um so being very patient with them having to teach them through things and take them through step by step um so that's how my teaching has helped me with being a governor my governance has helped me as a professional in that I'm actually quite a, a shy person. I, I don't go out. I don't, don't socialise. That sounds really awful. Um, <laughs> I, I would rather stay at home with a, a glass of Coke or a, a hot, Coke, hot chocolate in the corner than go out drinking or anything else like that. And do your um, YouTube videos. And do my YouTube videos because I only have to talk to a screen. I don't yeah, have to you talk don't have to, to talk to anyone. <laughs> no, it's safe. Um, so. <laughs> You know, I'm quite happy with that. I'm quite confident doing that kind of thing, but I'm not confident in front of groups of people. And being a governor and having to offer that challenge without being um, abrasive or without being overly negative with somebody when you're talking to them. So their data may be absolute rubbish, but you have to put in some kind of supportive challenge to that. And my governance has really taught me how to do that. And I can now bring that skill into my professional work because when I now go to do an SEN review in a school, I can walk in and I, I'm confident enough to shake the head teacher's hand and think, actually, I'm now on a similar level to you, mate. You're not my boss anymore. I can I can have this conversation with you and actually I can tell you your department is not where it should be and this is what yeah. you need to do to improve it whereas before I wouldn't have done that I would have just gone oh right okay fine I'll go and deal with it and hide away in a corner mm, which is not not what they need for me as well when you're going in like that to help them you know you're going there to help them you need to be able to tell them the truth don't you 
needs to be confidence to tell you. And, and I, I know I can tell them the truth and I can write them the truth, but it's when they ask you a question, you kind of just clam up and go, mm, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like breaking up with someone to the face. Yes. <laughs> Text message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so obviously you've got a lot of different roles. Um, how do you manage your time so that you can maintain a life work balance? <laughs> <laughs> do I have that's, to kind of just giggle that's the answer I would give as well Claire you've um, got this I, company that promotes life work balance yes not for myself <laughs> um, and, and to be fair I keep telling Senkos turn the, turn the laptop off you don't need to do any more you've you finished for the day and my husband will say the same thing to me um, I'm really passionate about what I do so for me my work life balance if I start to not enjoy something that is when it is going wrong yeah. So yeah. if I want to work till midnight tonight, and if I want to work all weekend, provided I am happy doing that, and everybody else around me is happy and catered for, if you like, then that's okay. Because yeah. that is me in my happy zone. Yeah. Once yeah. I am sitting there thinking, oh, God, have I really got to do this? Or once my kids are screaming at me or I feel that they're not getting their attention, that is when I have to put something to one side and go, no, let's sit down. Let's look at my week. Where can I put that to get it done so that I can carve myself some time now? Um, and I have to say... I am hating everybody else being on lockdown. So I've worked, I am, um, I've worked from home for four years and, uh, you know, I have my two screens and I have my iPad and I have my phone and I have my pile of paperwork because I'm a bit old fashioned. I still use pen and paper um, and I can make it work for me. But now everybody else is at home. I've got them pinging up on a Zoom call or pinging up on my screen or there's a WhatsApp message on my phone. It's like, just get your work done, will you? Leave me alone. <laughs> and I have been in more meetings in the last nine weeks than I have had in the last four years. And I think lots of people will say the same thing. And I think the big problem with it is we are multitasking too much because... At the moment, I guess say I am a parent. I have got four children at home who are having some form of home education. Let's just leave it at quotes around home education. Yeah, that's the same um, <laughs> quote. <laughs> um, I have got those at home. I've got the husband who's at home three days a week because he does um, four days on his shift and two of those are at the weekend. Um, I have got the dog. Um, and I wouldn't normally have all of those around me. They'd all be toddled off to wherever they normally go. But then I've got a screen open with my emails and a screen open with my Hangouts chat and my phone open with my WhatsApp. And there's just so much going on at once. And I am guilty of um, sitting in a webinar the other day. It was on on one screen with my headset on listening to it. And I'm sat on another screen typing an email and replying to something and checking on something else and writing a document um, whilst trying to tune into that. And I think there's a lot of teachers and especially Senkos who are probably doing that as well at the moment. Whereas normally if you'd gone to a webinar, which would have been your CPD or your staff meeting, you would have been concentrating on that. You wouldn't have got away with getting your phone out and playing with it under the desk or um, sitting and typing an email or replying to somebody at that point. So uh, 
I didn't actually answer your question though. So how do I manage my time? Um, I don't manage it particularly well. Um, but as a Senko, I was pretty good at compartmentalizing things. So because I had so many hats, I had my EAL hat, my pupil premium hat, my Senko hat. I used to block out periods of time and say, right, this is my Senko time. This is my EAL time. This is my pupil premium time. And I'm doing these jobs in this time. And if it didn't get done in that time, it got shifted over to the next time I had that slot. Didn't always work. Sometimes there was a priority that came up, which is fair enough. That happens to us all of the time. But it did help to kind of categorise and put, block it out on the timetable and go, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Um, I've never done this before, but I'm actually going to recommend the book to you and, ev and everyone listening as well, because um, I don't really believe in multitasking. I used to, but the same as you it's actually it's not multitasking is it because you're just wasting a lot of time flitting between things and i've recently recently listened to a book called the one thing by gary keller um you should definitely listen to it because it's all about doing that one thing that's most important first um and not and not trying to multitask because it's not a thing multitasking isn't a thing is it we just I mean, we, I had the conversation with, with my husband the other day about how if I have a Teams message that's any longer than four lines that I need to sit down to read it, that's, yeah. that's you know, that is not multitasking, is it? You think you're watching the kids at the same time, but you're not because they're eating dirt. <laughs> or falling off the swing has happened this afternoon. Um, yes. yes. Well, this is it. All these things. Or what my daughter did was she was watering the garden. I was upstairs. Ed was outside what uh, yeah Ed was outside watering the garden but he didn't notice that she brought a watering can full into the house poured it all over the floor and all up the stairs and then we're like oh I didn't see did you not <laughs> oh well <laughs> anyway at least it was only water it was only water. There is something called the full focus planner which is pretty good at making you think of one thing at a time and then moving on to the other bits you need to do but I have to admit I, I I used it for a while I used it for about five or six months and they say after three months it becomes a habit but um, yeah, yeah, 66 yeah. Days. yeah um unfortunately because my role changes almost on a weekly basis with what I have to do that mm. kind of focus planner doesn't work for me so it, it became a bit of a pain <laughs> I also think as well we we I mean, me in particular, whether it's a teacher thing or not, I don't know. But I often think about, you know, how I'm doing my to-do list and I'll change it up if it's not working for me and make tweaks because I'm always looking for the most efficient way. And I think that's normal, really, as well, isn't it? Use something while it works and then if it doesn't, find find a different solution. Um, but I do think that this way of working for everyone, will it's made us learn a lot, a lot of things. It's made me... learn a lot of technology. <laughs> yeah well well I've not learned more technology but I have learned things like I need to go to the office less and because uh, I'll get more done at home and I knew all these things because we've only had an office for two years but it's you know just those things that kind of come back up and you think ah yeah we can learn so much from this and I think that's just a positive way to look at it, isn't it um so talking about technology what technology do you use to support students and do you think they help students to gain skills in technology? 
So I don't particularly use anything directly with students anymore because like I say I don't work with students, I tend to work with the SENCOs, um, but one thing I have noticed is that um, what is not taught is how to use assistive technology. So our mobile phones have the ability to zoom in on things, they have magnifiers on them. You can turn text into speech. So your mm. children who are struggling to read something, they can, they can get it to read on a mobile phone. We have settings within Macs and PCs and laptops and iPads and tablets that will allow them to do that. And it really surprises me that children don't use them. I think parents don't necessarily know they exist, but also as teachers, we're not teaching them that they, they exist as well. So for me, it isn't about going out and buying a, an app or something that helps them to do something, but it's about teaching a, around the things that are available to them within their devices that they've already got. So think, like I say, things like um, text-to-speech and speech-to-text are so important for a lot of our students. As much as I hate Google Translate, you know, Yandex is far better, but you know, um, translation tools are essential for some of our students not just for themselves to translate things, but also when they've had a lesson in school which they've understood perfectly in English, going home and trying to explain it to mum and dad when they haven't got that word in their first language to be able to yes, explain, yes. I've been doing photosynthesis or something, they can't explain it. Um, being able to use that technology for that as well. So um, over on my website, uh, which is sendcosolutions.co.uk, I have got a blog post on there. And on that blog post, I, I wrote out a whole load of really basic assistive technologies that I think we should be encouraging students to use. And I know a lot of schools have mobile phone bums, and I do understand the reason behind that because I used to hate it when they got their phone out in lesson and were texting around me. But actually, for a lot of our students, you know, how many teachers do you tell them to put their phone away when you're in a CPD session? You wouldn't dare say it. How many of your staff in the office will perhaps have their phone out on their desk during the day? You're not going to tell them to put it away unless they start watching YouTube instead of working. Um, but they can use that technology that's there. There's a calculator on your phone. There's um, the, the ability to quickly look up how to spell something or, or whatever else on there. So I really think we should be really embracing that and making more use of it. And I would love to think that after this period of lockdown, not immediately, we've got other things to deal with, but that some of the things that we've been doing with students around online learning, that we bring it back into our way of teaching in the future. So it's not all about a teacher standing at the front chalk and talk or whatever you want to call it, and that person being the fount of all knowledge and delivering it, but that we're actually giving them the chance to use that online technology that they've been using over the last few weeks, if they've been using it, of course. Yeah. No, I talked to somebody who said that they used Teams for their learning. So they'd have um, like a, a team set up. And this was secondary, to be fair. Um, and the the teacher would be able to put a question in, and then all the students would be able to sort of give the thoughts. And we use Teams as a company, so I, we love it. And you would always find phones on desks because yes we have it on our laptop but often so on teams the reply feature to swap the swipe to reply is only on your phone so you read it on your laptop and then reply on your phone um yeah. so you know as soon as you leave school it becomes part of your everyday life and you use it for everything 
you look at your emails and you look at your team's messages and things and but you I check guess it's difficult time. yeah check the time yeah I've got a Fitbit but I, I never look at that <laughs> <laughs> this is it but it's it's interesting isn't it because I've also been a secondary school teacher before and I remember how difficult it was and I suppose you would have a, a massive trust issue if you were using your phones then for the team's messages especially lower down school as well because then you open up to I guess cyberbullying that you don't necessarily know about but it's still happening in school it's it's very difficult isn't it I think if you try to block it out in school, you kind of encourage it to happen outside of school because it's, it's just like yeah. banning children from drinking alcohol. As soon as they've got the opportunity to go and do it, they'll go and do it. Mm-hmm. So by banning them from inside school, it just gives them that temptation to go and do it outside. Not yeah. bully. <laughs> well, um, so how do you feel coronavirus has affected your work and your outlook over the last few weeks? okay so work-wise for me I initially I panicked because although I have my my work with the software company like I said it's it certainly doesn't pay as much as teaching so my um, income was supplemented by going out to schools and going and doing SCN reviews and um, doing interim Senko roles and that kind of thing and initially I panicked thinking oh I'm not going to have enough money coming in. I don't know what to do. Um, yes, I have some passive income for my books, but that certainly doesn't pay for much other than the internet no, each no. month. Yeah. Um, so I really, really panicked about it. And actually, I didn't need to because I've had so much work come in where people, because I've worked remotely for the last four years, they kind of recognize that I already know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I've had work come in. Um, I, I, I've had two interviews this week with um, quite large companies or multi-academy trusts around things that they want me to do. Um, so for me, I, I haven't seen that same side of things as perhaps other consultants or companies have done. Mm-hmm. Um, from an SEM perspective within that, my social media group, so I, have, I run a couple of Facebook groups um and i have a twitter feed that is constantly full um being able to keep everybody up to date with that sen information okay i don't get paid for it but doing the sen roundup every week and putting it onto the website and putting it out onto facebook so that people that haven't got to sit and read it themselves it's just been summarized for them um that's been really important to me so setting aside a block of time to do that every week um so my workload has actually gone up as opposed to going down I certainly haven't been furloughed um, and my outlook on things um, I wish we had locked down earlier it worried me that we didn't lock down earlier um, my husband is what well, I say is a HGV driver but he's also classed as a key worker because he delivers mm-hmm. um, food stuff um, so he's been going out every single day so I've had a few concerns and worries around that. The boys haven't really noticed, to be fair. We have a reasonably large garden, so throw them out in the garden. We've built a climbing frame for them. Can't take them to the park, so we built the park in the garden. Um, and they're quite happy. They're quite cheerful. They got a bit bored around about week three, but then by week four, they were back to, yeah, okay, this is life now, isn't it? Let's get on with it. Yeah. Um, so they're fairly happy. 
which makes me happy because everybody in our house seems to be safe and comfortable and we're okay and things are going okay for us um so I, I don't have a negative outlook on it i don't have a particularly positive outlook on it either because it still worries me and it very definitely worries me this idea of opening schools back up again mm. um you know I, I, without going too political i think it's too soon i really do and i think they chose completely the wrong year groups which is why i entirely back the way that my trust has decided to open up their schools mm. i guess as well it's um we don't actually know if it's really going to happen yet um i think we're all waiting with bated breath as seen as a lot of um local authorities have kind of stopped their schools from opening we just i'm kind of waiting till the sunday before to find out if it really does happen or not um and going with that <laughs> to be honest um you mentioned twitter so do you want to tell us what your handle is so my Twitter on handle is at Sendco Solutions. So that has got a D in it, Sendco Solutions, all as one word. Um, and my Facebook group, probably the best one for people to join if they want to come and join me is Sensible Senko. Um, so Sensible and then Space Senko. Super. And I'll make sure, uh, yeah, I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well so everyone knows. Um, so apart from obviously your um website and your facebook group and following you on twitter is there anywhere else that you'd recommend teachers can look for additional support um okay gosh lots of places so over on my website you will find a uh, blog post over there that talks about social media and all the different places within social media that they can find SEN support um, and there's also one over there on different CPD that's available to them both free CPD and paid for CPD um, I wish that social media had been more active four years ago I don't think it was I, I think it was a, a little bit a bit of a novelty at the time it's more friends and family that you used it for now i think social media is very definitely seen as a bit more of a professional forum um and i think if i'd have had it four years ago i probably wouldn't have hit the pit bottom that i actually did because i could have reached out and gone this is what's happening in my school guys give me some advice and know that somebody would be there to do that yeah and somebody like you said you know being a senko is a very um lonely role and i suppose you need to be able to connect with like-minded people. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love the podcast because, and I, and you know, I said to you just before you started, people want to know your story. Don't, don't skimp on that because I think it's about recognizing any kind of similarity or synergy that you've got. And I yeah. think that's important. And that's what you get in social media, being able to see, Oh, that's me as well. Oh, I'm feeling like that. Oh, that happened in my school. Yeah. Yeah. It's also getting almost not an instant response, but getting a response fairly quickly. I, I can remember the old um, Senko forums and they, they still exist, but you would type something in there and then you'd have to wait until the following day when the di Daily Digest came back with an answer. And sometimes waiting 24 hours for an answer from somebody is that a little bit too long you kind of just need somebody to type a very quick answer to you that goes here you go here's the document you need or have you tried this or oh do you know what i know exactly what you mean i feel like that too and that's what people need they need that almost almost like our students do that instant gratification or instant answer to something um and i, th I think social media fills that for a lot of people now 
we we so do need that i was listening to a podcast the other day because I, I like to listen to podcasts on mindset um it was saying how children today just so want that instant uh yeah. answer and that instant gratification and, and it's so funny because um i've been watching um like some we do our own research based on uh, what children are doing on our, our new website class of secrets kids and um just watching how they're interacting with the site so we can uh, improve on it and um i saw, I saw this i don't i'm assuming it was a child because obviously i don't know um but it was so important to them that they got it right they were, they were on this thing for 10 minutes because it was quite difficult and they just couldn't get it right but there was no way that they were moving on to the next thing and then when they even scrolled forward and they'd forgotten to get their answers they went back to then find out what was the answer i need to know the answer now and um it, i just find it really interesting because i feel like i'm seeing that so much so my four-year-old today she said something um i can't remember she oh she asked something like what did pony poo look like and i said well we're on a walk and we were like well let's see if we see any i said to be honest i don't think there's any ponies but you might see horse poo um and she was like can't you just look it up on your phone <laughs> like need the answer <laughs> and i'm like do you know what i were for <laughs> we didn't have that and she was like what and i'm like i would have just had to imagine what pony poo looked like <laughs> but yeah so instant gratification world and and part of me does worry about how even though that's good and we need it for the things like this, it worries me how it's going to affect children. I definitely, definitely. Cause they, they just do not seem to have any patience to wait for anything now, but, yeah, um, no, <laughs> this is it. Mummy, I know that you're eating your tea, but can you just, just get me this and this and this because I need it. Yeah. And when they don't get it, they go and do something else. Destructive usually. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, okay then. So, last question before I get to the closing questions. Um, what would you advise? I mean, it could be an NQT, but it could be any any teacher really um, who doesn't have a lot of experience in send provision. How can they hit the ground running? What would you suggest? Okay, well, we know that PGCEs and, to be fair, the um, uh, the bachelor's degrees in um, education don't particularly prepare individuals for being in a classroom with students who have special educational needs um, it's woefully inadequate in most establishments um, so i would say talk to your senko as soon as you find out who the senko is in the school talk to them if you're a primary school teacher talk to the current class teacher and find out about the needs of the children in that class and if you can start talking to the parents of the children who are in that class because the parents are the expert on their child or mm. should be um they'll be able to tell you even more about what that child needs to move forward um i would say get on your social media and start asking the questions there's some really good groups out there for nqts certainly on twitter um i would also say pop along and watch my youtube videos because they would be yeah. incredibly useful to you although my original audience was it started off with parents um but then i i, I built it around being for senkos but i've actually tried really hard to make sure I explain every term that I use. So a Senko can watch it, a teacher can watch it, a parent can watch it, yeah. and you understand what I'm talking about. So go and watch some of those. I think it will help you to understand what's going on. And reach out. If you are unsure about anything, 
reach out and don't expect to be an expert the day that you walk through the door. I've learned over 25 years how to handle and how to work with the students that I work with, but also the adults that we work with because they can be equally as awkward. Um, so, awesome. more so, um, you know, learning those skills is not something you learn overnight. Um, my NQT year, I think I probably went home in tears nearly every night. The fact that I was, you know, 200 odd miles away from home probably didn't help, but, um, you know, it's not something that you're expected to know. It is a NQT year. Um, and even, you know, going to a new school is almost like taking three years step backwards. As an experienced teacher, moving on into a new school, you've got to learn all the procedures and the processes and everything else from that establishment. And they are so different, so incredibly different. And I think we forget that sometimes. We think, yeah, I know how to teach. I can go and do this. And your teaching might be absolutely fine, but you're wearing the wrong shoes. Mm. as a daft example um yeah just and make mistakes because children learn from mistakes and you tell them all of the time it's okay to make a mistake because you're learning it's okay for us to make a mistake as well because a we are human b we are showing the children we are human and c we need to make mistakes to learn yeah thank you i said that that was the last question but i've just realized there's a really important question that i haven't asked you um <laughs> So when the time comes, how can teachers support SEN children with the transition back into school? Okay, I'm just going to answer that with pop along to YouTube or pop mm -hmm. along to my website because there is a really great video on there. I made it, it has to be great, um, about <laughs> transition. <laughs> so I talk in there about my virtual coffee mornings. So this was a, I, it was a throwaway statement I made on one of the webinars and it was like, everybody jumped on it. What's a virtual coffee morning? How do I do that? So it talks about those. It talks about making video casts of your school getting that communication going and the really key thing about transition is communication so we might have a situation where some of our students are not even going to transition back to us till september october possibly even later if they're medically vulnerable and we're trying to avoid um another wave or the the, the normal seasonal flu so having that communication with the parents but also having that communication with the students and making sure everybody is almost singing from the same hymn sheet as well so if you're a secondary school and we're talking year six to seven transition at this point if you're a secondary school not having the science teacher saying one thing and the english teacher saying something else um, it's really important to get that consistent message but transition isn't just about um, one year group to the other we've got children who've currently been at home for nine weeks who are now going to transition back into school so it's again about communication it's about making expectations clear and it's going to be very very different i almost feel that they shouldn't be going back to their class teacher and their original classroom because sometimes when you go back to familiarity you drop back into your familiar routines mm -hmm. and it's almost like okay well if we put them into a different classroom with an entirely different member of staff um they might realize that they have to behave in a different way because we have different rules here and i know right. i know perfectly well that won't work for some of our very extreme students with special educational needs they need the familiarity but for a lot of them i actually think a, a full full-on change might be more appropriate for them that sounds a really strange way of putting it <laughs> no i understand that makes a lot of sense actually yeah okay um so 
I ask everyone this question. If you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? Um, 48 hours in a day. <laughs> well, it's a magic wand. I actually really like the creative things with a magic wand instead of the sensible solutions. It's a magic wand, so spend more time in the day. Um, okay, no, do you know what? Work. If I'm absolutely honest, the one thing I would like to not have to do is to go to sleep. Because I, I, I find it a waste of time. <laughs> I, I get what you mean. I do enjoy sleep, and, and I'm very into tracking exactly how much I had. Um, I get up very early, <laughs> and especially in lockdown. Um so yeah i do enjoy it but i see what you mean like it is a big waste of time like you say but the key is how would you stay productive if you didn't go to sleep there is that if i could have an off button so like my computer if i could have an off button where i could turn it off and it reboots for half an hour and then comes back on again and that's me refreshed redone ready to start again that would be my magic wand yeah it'd be quite good wouldn't it if you could just pause you know if, if time paused if if there was no like time zones, everyone was in the same time zone, we all got 12 hours and then you just, I don't know, that was the, the pause phase and nobody kind of lost any time and we all recharged and then, yeah. But that would make like sense so it because time <laughs> wouldn't exist so you wouldn't actually sleep. Anyway, <laughs> let's not get into talking. <laughs> it's too late for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's quarter to, it's quarter to nine right now. I have to do all my podcasts in an evening because I've got terrors at home. <laughs> so, where do you think education is going to go in the next ten years? And within this question, can you sort of what what am I trying to say? Um, so, the coronavirus, like, how is that going to affect education as well? Okay, I really really hope that and in fact this is why I really wish schools weren't going back I really hope that somebody sits down and goes do you know what we need to rethink the education system in this country because I think we have discovered children don't need to be in school five days a week doing English math science history geography IT RE everything else because I can't remember the rest of them PE music art um, they don't need to be in there doing that I think it has been recognised that actually the reason children go to school five days a week is to provide childcare. It's it's part of, not that we are childcare, child carers, um, but that we are providing that element by masking it with education. And when we come to it, the majority of jobs that are actually out there do not require us to know primary school history. And primary school geography yeah they're great they're lovely stories but we could use literacy and teach mm -hmm. those things so i can learn about Anne Boleyn or king henry the eighth or whoever it is through my literacy lesson and i would and, and learn how to read and write using those stories and i can do the same with geography so i would love to see the curriculum completely trimmed back if parents need that full-time coverage that's where we can start building in that and we used to call it extracurricular activities so we can start putting all of that arts and music and drama 
and the things that have kind of got pushed off to the side and narrowed down to 30 minutes once a fortnight we can put the children into those or parents having to pay for private classes private dance classes because their child can't do it within school or private music lessons let's put those in so that provides that additional time for those parents who need full-time child care part of the education and let's narrow our curriculum down to our english and our maths which are our core fundamentals um, build our other stuff into it so our science our history our geography our re build those in through those subjects and making sure our children are technology ready because we are in a society that uses technology and we've proven that over the last nine weeks so let's get them ready to use it and ready to go into the workforce my eldest two children one of them will be 17 in august one of them will be 16 in july and they have no life skills whatsoever if mm -hmm. you know if something was to happen to dad and me tomorrow and touch wood nothing will happen to us but if something was to happen to us they would have no idea how to go out into the world and actually do something for themselves and part of that's down to parenting part of that's my folks i've not necessarily always had the time for them um but also i I think education doesn't allow them to learn that. And I think I was far more mature at 18 than my son will ever be, ever be. Um, so, you know, 18 when we went to, or even at 17 when I was at college and not going to my lessons. Um, but at 18, going away to university, I cannot imagine him ever, ever, ever being able to go and do that. And I look at the students I've taught over the last few years and I think, goodness me, no, we've, we've, it's almost like education's mollycoddled some students, some students, not all of them, but it's almost mollycoddled them so much that they've lost the skill to do things for themselves. Um, and I, I, I hope that over the next, well, over, not 10 years, I'm hoping it'll happen quicker than that, but from our experiences over the last few weeks, that we're going to seriously look at education and go, right, this is where we need to go with it next. Um, and like I say, cutting back that massive curriculum to what the bare fundamentals are and then adding the other things on as additional. And let's do the things that kids like doing. I hate art. Don't give me. I love craft. I hate art. I cannot draw for the life of me. Please do not make me do seven years of art because I would be in tears every lesson if I had to do it now. Um, and my second son's exactly the same. Cannot stand art, can't do it. Um, PE, <laughs> you know, yes, we need a bare amount of PE to keep ourselves physically fit, but we don't need to be forced into doing sports and all the rest of it. So if I, if I don't want to do that, I'll do my, my, my two hours, but I shouldn't have to go and do extra for it kind of thing. But I am passionate about music. So let me have extra music lessons. <laughs> mm, a bit more like of a... Uh, so three days in and then and then a choice for two days or something like that absolutely almost a little bit like so in america where they have the um home education system so uh, in some of the states they can register to home educate so the parents are teaching them the the maths and their english if you like um but then they have the ability to go and join their local high school or their local middle school to participate in group activities and I think, you know, it'd be lovely to have something similar to that, although we're providing the English and the maths within the school rather than at home. But then they can go and elect into those things 
possibly not even at their own school perhaps they go to the school across the road because they offer more music than your school which offers art instead and i just think it would be really great to really rethink things and to rethink things for our special educational needs students we know so many of them attendance isn't great and exclusions are high why usually it's because the curriculum isn't meeting their needs so how can we utilize what we've learned you know the number of posts i've read where it's oh those boys i can't normally engage in something have produced this this week it's amazing can we use that can we build that back in so that those students don't lose out and keep losing out as they have been doing over the last few years yeah it's quite it's quite worrying isn't it really i was just sort of going back to, to something you mentioned um about how maybe they're not really ready for life and what what have we done to to get them into that position so when me and my husband were talking the other day um, and it was about the whole instant information thing um, he was saying that, that he'd listened to a podcast with the uh, CTO of Microsoft, I think, and he'd said, oh, you know, kids today can, can spin up an Azure server in, in three clicks, but they have no idea what that means. And so I was saying to, to Ed then, because our, our daughters are 23 months and four, and I was like, but how do we stop that from happening here? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, well, I don't know either. We don't. We know that it's a thing and we don't want it to happen, but I suppose it's, it's about us collectively stepping back and working out what, what has caused that to happen and how we kind of retract back from that. Absolutely. I, I, you're a little bit younger than I am, but I, my first computer, you used to have to put a um, cassette into it, good old fashioned cassette, magnetic wow. tape. I've never seen that. <laughs> um, not seen that there you go that shows how old i am um you used to have to put that in you had to get the volume absolutely perfect it used to have to be nine and a half um and play the tape and it would take between 25 and 30 minutes to load chucky egg onto the screen and if your volume wasn't perfect after the 30 minutes it would come up with this is not loaded um so and you were so excited when it loaded up you would sit there quite happily playing chucky egg or hunchback or whatever it was um tribbles was great as well I got, your face is because i can't see your face on the screen it's like what on earth is she talking about i have no idea what these games are are they games i'm assuming they're they are games somebody will be listening and having a good chuckle at this thinking oh i remember that one yeah. <laughs> um, there you go pac-man you might remember that one pac-man i know on the atari on my dad's on atari, atari though um, yeah. So when I played it, it was old. <laughs> yeah. So he would have had a cartridge that you stuck in the top of it rather than a disc. Yes. Um, but it used to take ages for it to load up. And we were so excited when it loaded and we would be so patient and play it for a couple of hours and then turn it off. And we were so grateful for it. Now you turn your PC on and if it hasn't booted up in 30 seconds, you're like, come on, what's wrong with you? Load yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. And even we are doing it. So what, on, uh, you know, what model are we giving to our children who are like, mum, I've turned the phone on, it isn't working. Let's give it 30 seconds. Have <laughs> yeah. you had to wait for the <laughs> So they're seeing it from us as much as anything else. And we are now expecting things to do to be, be faster. much faster as well, to be faster. Oh, yeah. yeah, they launched, they launched um, Prime now in um in halifax where we lived the other day and we were like oh my word so the first thing we did was like right what can we buy it turns out not very much 
But anyway, we're all just obsessed with getting it now. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. obsessed with it. Right. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to education. Um, so who was your favourite teacher at school and why? Um, okay. Her name was Mrs. Montgomery and she was my French teacher in year seven. Or what was year seven? It was first year secondary at the time. Um, and she... It, why did I like her? She, I'd never done languages, but she made me feel like I could try to do languages, even though at the time I was absolutely useless. But the reason I remember her is um, she fell ill towards the Christmas probably of year eight, second year, and uh, was taken into hospital. And it, it, you can tell, going back again, you can tell how old I am. My um, parents found out which hospital she was in and took me to go and visit her at the hospital because I was so desperate to go and check that my French teacher was okay. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, she, she didn't make it through. But she really just instilled this um, confidence in me that it was okay to do it wrong and that if I made a mistake especially speaking a foreign language, that it didn't matter because somebody would try and help me out. If I was standing in France and trying to say something and I, I, I didn't necessarily know the right word for it, even if I tried my way around it, somebody would give me another go at doing it. And I think up to that point, I'd always been one of these children who felt I had to have the right answer. So as soon as I was asked something, you had to get it right straight away. And she just kind of made me feel, actually, no, it doesn't always have to be right. There's, a, there's this grey wooliness around the edge and it's OK to be almost right. Um, and I, I've remembered her for that ever since. That said, I went into sciences and not languages. Um, and that's because Mrs Garner was just just an inspirational teacher. She she stood at the front of the room and I can, I can still remember her lesson. I can remember her words. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know why, you know, Mrs. Hammond used to scare me. She was the chemistry teacher. I think all chemistry teachers are scary. Um, but Mrs. Garner, she was just, she was just wonderful. Just absolutely great. And no, I didn't have all female teachers. Yes, I was thinking, okay, all female teachers. And weird that, that both of them, well, two of them taught science as well. That That's strange. Something. That. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think tell I... which teacher did not inspire me. And that would have been Mr. Pickering. He just frightened me. He, I, I, I had the hiccups in one lesson and he sent me out. Uh, after that, no chance. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. How dare you, you in my lesson, girl? <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, what did I want to be when I grew up? So when I was very young, I, um, I suppose I wanted to be a doctor. I, I've got a medical kind of side. I've always been on the sciences side. Like I said, I'm useless at arts, so not going there. Um, I dabbled a little bit in drama and that kind of thing. I think my parents were trying to make me a bit more confident when I was younger. Um, I'm pretty good at learning scripts, so I think they tried that one on me. And I did a lot of dance as well. Um, can't do it now. My knees creak too much. Um, so it was all those kind of things that I was into. Um, I, only, I fell into teaching, like I said. I wanted to be a research scientist by the time I got to my A-levels. Um, I don't know what I wanted to research, if I'm perfectly honest. Penguins. I definitely wanted to go to the Antarctic and research penguins. That wasn't going to happen. Um, a <laughs> bit unrealistic. Um, but I fell you into... You've got to follow your dream. <laughs> follow a penguin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just don't stop me giggling um, <laughs> I fell into teaching 
and I fell in love with teaching is probably the answer there and I don't I I've never looked back and regretted any of my experiences in teaching even that really bad patch in 2015-2016 I've never looked back and gone oh my goodness that was disastrous it was more well that was a wake-up call thank you now let's move on from here what can I do next and I think that that shapes you as a person but it, it also gives you a different outlook on everything as well um so things I, can go wrong I agree so much and um you know obviously I've mentioned about mindset as well but but even now it's important it's important how you're viewing it um whether you I mean don't get me wrong there are some awful things happening right now and um there are some people going through some awful things um and you know we're sat here having a conversation now we're not in hospital fighting for our life or um, anything like that but I do believe that your mindset has a big part to play in it um sort of how you how you interpret it because the same well a similar thing is happening to everyone but everyone's experiencing it differently by how they are reacting to it um and sometimes it's hard to be able to react in a certain way, but being aware, I think, can just be just this massive tool that's really helpful for everyone. I think my um my my dad died when I was quite young. He died when I was twenty three, so it was just as I was actually graduating as uh, from Keele University, so just before I started my NQT year, and uh, he'd he'd been diagnosed with uh, mesothelioma, which is lung cancer and Parkinson's disease about four years previous to that. And we were told he only had six months to live. So we spent that six months doing everything with him and building up to the fact we were going to lose my dad. And he didn't. And he lasted four years. And I I look back on it now and I feel really guilty saying it, but to be perfectly honest, by the time it got to the end of the four years, it was like, oh my goodness, thank thank goodness that's over because it was like a big black cloud hanging over our heads with when is this going to happen Mm -hmm. and it was such a relief when it did that I wasn't emotional about it at all I I I wasn't I didn't cry at the funeral I yeah I didn't do any mourning or anything like that and it was only when I had my own children which was eight years later that it actually hit me and it was like, oh, I miss my dad. And mm. I wish my dad was here so he could see the baby. I need to go and take the baby to see where my dad is now. Mm. Um, and I think you know, sometimes we feel that we can't, can't show emotions. Sometimes we feel that it's not appropriate to show emotions. And sometimes it's it's right for that person to be able to hold those emotions until they are ready to express them. And for me, it took eight years on that one. Um, I th- think, you know, my, my breakdown in 2015, I think it was a few years in the making, if I'm perfectly honest. It, it, the, the school didn't turn around overnight and change into what it was. It had been building up for a few years and I'd held it together for so long to the point that it was, no, can't do this anymore end this just just get rid of this so yeah (laughs) um i don't know what question i was actually answering there (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we started with what did you want to be when you grew up, but we just ended up talking about mindset. But but I think it's important to talk about it at, at this time because I think a lot of people are having a lot of time to reflect. And um, uh, something I heard the other day is that, you know, quite a few people are sort of looking for life coaches because they're thinking, oh, I want to change things about my life. I want to change habits. I want to change how this is happening. Even I've thought, right, when we get back to, I don't want to say normal because I don't feel like we'll get to that. But how do I want things to be different? You know, what? how how is work going to be different? How is home life going to be different? Everyone's planning that kind of thing, which I think is a good a good thing. That's a positive for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I feel like we've had a really good chat and I, I love those ones. So thank you so much. And um, I'm really excited for this episode to get out. Thank you. You are very welcome. I've loved talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. I would really encourage you to subscribe to the Sensible Senko YouTube channel so that Abigail can help you navigate the needs presented in your classroom. You'll find everything that Abigail and I talked about in the show notes. If this is the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, remember to subscribe and do explore the other episodes as I've had some truly inspirational and knowledgeable guests. It's a really great time to tap into some free CPD. If you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in our Facebook group called the Teachers Podcast Community. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.